Welcome to the Paychex HR Leadership Series. I'm your host, Rob Parsons. I lead the content team here at Paychex, and we write extensively on a variety of HR topics, covering everything from HCM technology to team engagement to compliance with state and federal regulations. In this podcast, we speak with leaders and thinkers in the industry to provide our audience with the latest HR insights and information, and hopefully more than a little inspiration. Joining me today is Somi Aryan. Somi is a tech philosopher, filmmaker, author, entrepreneur, speaker, and a transition architect for a new era of human evolution as we merge with technology. Her focus on generational differences, on women in the workplace, and on the impact of AI and other disruptive technologies is both important and timely. But first, our team has spent hundreds of hours researching the latest HR and management trends we think leaders should be aware of. We have thousands of downloads now, and we're excited to have that connection with you. If you're enjoying this podcast, let us know. Go and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, wherever you're listening to us today. Leave us a comment on topics you're looking to hear about. We want to serve you with insights you want and need to know. Okay, let's get to it. Somi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Rob. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm very much looking forward to our conversation today. I'm sure it will be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So if we can, I'd like to start by discussing your recent conference, um, the Think Tank for Women in Business and Technology. Specifically, I I, I thought it was, was interesting because you're talking about raising women's socioeconomic status through the application of technology. Why is that important to you? Um, Okay, let me put it this way. When you think about, look at the the, the technology space out there, right? So we have uh, five companies in the US and five in China, 10 companies that are, okay, with the addition of, if you want to add Tesla in the mix, uh, that's 11, right? Because we uh, just saw that... um, Uh, Elon Musk surpassed the wealth of uh, Jeff Bezos, right? So let's say five technology firms in in, uh, the US. Um, We've got Microsoft, Google, Apple, Facebook, um, and uh, what's the other one? Uh, Amazon, right? So five there. And then in China, we have Alibaba, Baidu, uh, Xiaomi, uh, Huawei, and Tencent. These 10 corporations are running the, they're running the world. They're 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 determining the direction of humanity as we merge with technology. Think about the way that our data is being used for machine learning, right? Yep. But all of these ten corporations are founded by and run by men. That is a huge problem to me. You know, and when I look at it, I'm I am surprised that more people aren't questioning that. You know, this is a huge problem. Why? Because the direction of humanity is being determined without a female perspective in the room. Okay, because it's not. I'm not talking about having some women on your board or like like having a female CEO here and there. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about like J.P. Morgan having some female CEO solves the problem. I'm talking about at the top level where the future of humanity is being decided, we don't have women. There's no female perspective. Now, you may say that throughout history, we never had it. So why is this a problem now? And I would say, I put it this way. If you look at the entire history of Homo sapiens, 
you know, the past 28,000 years or so, um, we've there's been like a slow progress in terms of, uh, if you look at, you know, biologically from an evolutionary biology perspective, and from a technology perspective, you know, our, we've gone from our early tools that was like you use a piece of stick to have, you know, uh, uh, to help uh, drop an apple from the tree. We have from that point until we get to the Industrial Revolution, there's not that much of a difference. Then when you go from the Industrial Revolution to digital technologies, there's suddenly a huge difference. And then you go from the start of you know, having computers to now is a whole other era. And now we are going into this age of artificial intelligence, but we are in it, in the age of artificial intelligence. So if you think about the difference between what has happened to the way that our brain interacts with the world, you can think of going from reptiles to mammals. So the difference now, as we are merging with technology and we are bringing these technologies into our brain, our mind, we are, we are connecting to it, we are connecting to the cloud. That difference is bigger now, you know, like the, the, the scale of the difference is bigger from what's happening in this century than what happened from reptile, reptiles to mammals. And that, the fact that that is being determined by a male-only perspective is a problem it's a huge problem for womankind you know and for mankind and for humankind right so so that's that's the reason why so why do i talk about socioeconomic status and why raising socioeconomic because women need to be generating more wealth so that they can invest uh, and they can you know create more businesses and therefore they can have a say at the table they can be at the table so the uh, the um, at at the bottom of all of that, you know, all of that comes down to money and wealth. So we need more women to we need women to be making more money, and we and when they have the money, you know, people say women are more risk averse when it comes to investment, but actually women have less money. You know, so it's not just that they're risk averse; they have less money to invest. So of course they're going to be more careful with it. Are we even talking about issues of pay equity, of issues of opportunity, um, of issues that that I could even address in my own company, could see in my own company that are just a reflection of these of these macro issues that you're discussing? Exactly. Yes. So, you know, we need to look at this from so many different angles. It's not like one solution. It's not like, OK, we need to give women a pay rise. And box to see, okay, we need to make sure in this board there are more women and we check, okay, there are like 30%. That's not what I'm talking about. It, it, yes, it is a macro uh, issue. So I look at uh, the, the way that um, you the 10 factors that impact women's socioeconomic status. And those 10 factors are biological, psychological, educational, you know, cultural, uh, legal, uh, you know, uh, all, all of these, like the, lots of different facets and they each play a part. And uh, the main glue that brings all of these together is data. So the data gap, you know, so the, the way that we look at and the way that we look at it through our research and, and all the conversation I've been having with so many CEOs and, and investors, doctors, you know, all sorts of things is that it all comes down the fact to the uh, fact that there is a lack of flow of data 
to women and about women. We don't know enough about female biology. We don't know enough about you know female uh, economic behaviors. We don't know enough about female psychology. Like there's so many things that we don't know about women. And if you let me even give you an example. In an office, the temperature of the room. You know, the is usually uh, decided based on male biology, and and you know. Yeah, you're talking about my house right now. I'm sorry to interrupt, but yes, <laughs> yeah, my daughters so, are so, always cold. Cold, exactly. And so, so what happens is that in an office environment, women are you know having to wear an extra layer. You know, they are um, having to feel more, uh, you know, less comfortable. So what is that that's a data gap it's simply because nobody asked a question like the, we do not have enough data so when we talk about gender neutral there's no such thing as gender neutral it, it, because when we do talk about gender neutral we're talking about the default but the default is a male default so can technology i mean just as you know you you'd pose that these these big tech companies it, it's it's a challenge, potentially a, 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 a difficult one. Can technology work the other way? You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a father of daughters, uh, 26, 23, uh, entering the workforce, embracing technologies that I certainly don't understand right now. They are very plugged in. Um, can, can HR leaders leverage technology to help that data flow, to help bridge those gaps, to, to help maybe even help them upskill? I mean, what, what? how does technology play on the other side of that equation? Absolutely. Technology is the key. You know, that's why I say about raising women's socioeconomic status through the application of technology. Okay, let's talk about what is technology. Technology is a set of tools that we use to outsource our capacities. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. So, like, for example, the very first time when we used FIRE, you know, we outsource our digestion to fire, right? So that's when we were able to break down the nutrients better uh, so that we, our body was able to absorb them better, right? So that's an example of technology. Now, uh, we have, over time, we have been able to use technology, uh, the primitive forms of it, now the more modern form, forms of it, Initially, we started to use technology to outsource our physical abilities. Then, right, then, right, like for example, when we used when we created the wheel, that enabled us to carry more stuff, right? So, so we outsourced our, uh, you know, the, it it also enabled us to interact with animals and use their power, you know, the wind power, the water power, all of those. Things. So, so the first layer of it had to do with outsourcing because as humans, we have got three main capacities okay some people could argue four main capacities the fourth one uh, i don't speculate in that realm um, but but mostly let's say that this, the the first three that we know of is physical cognitive emotional and you could say there is another layer of some people would call it you know another dimension or like say um, spiritual however you would look at it but 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 from a, a um, functional perspective we have these three so technology is any to anything that we use to outsource. And so initially it starts with enhance. So first we use it to enhance and then to outsource, right? So, so when we first use the wheel, we are enhancing. So we are putting stuff on a, um, you know, uh, something that we can carry stuff more easily. And then we put the wheels and then we are still carrying it ourselves. Then now we have robots. So we are completely outsourcing, right? So 
In the same way, we are always going to continue to outsource. So we are going to continue to outsource um, now cognitive uh, abilities. And then we are now using artificial intelligence to even outsource our uh, emotional abilities. You know, when you look at the way that we are now using um, uh, robots to interact with el elderly, you know, you know, like they're they're using that already in uh, uh, Japan, for example, to to provide um, you know like the kids who don't want to go and spend um, you know time with their parents and grandparents, so that they now have created these robots that are supposed to create. But but the human mind is able to anthropomorphize and is able to uh, connect with even a robot because we you know even if. So, so, so it's not about because people always say, "Oh, but the robots are not going to become conscious anytime soon, or maybe never." But the question is not whether robots are going to become conscious or not. They don't need to be conscious in order to uh, uh, to disrupt our um, uh, human faculties, you know, whether it's physical, cognitive, or emotional. So, technology is the key. Uh, and it's really important that doesn't matter what business you're in, doesn't matter what your role, uh, what role you're in. There are a few things you can and you must do. One is to educate yourself about technology on a cognitive, sorry, on a, a con uh, conceptual level, on a conceptual level, right? So what you want to be doing is thinking about. You know, not just reading a couple of books and say this is this is the perspective um, that I'm taking on technology and I know everything. No, you need to read and uh, familiarize yourself and listen to all sorts of different perspectives on technology. Uh, and then the second thing is, I think it's really imperative that we also teach ourselves some of the technical sides of it. But people say, oh, you don't need to learn coding. Well, actually. I would say you do, right? Like I'm teaching myself, even if it's not like, it, it's not at a level that I'm going to be able to say, I'm going to sit down and code everything myself. No, but if I have a conceptual level and some degree of getting my hands dirty, then when I'm speaking to people that I'm hiring, it makes it easier to speak to them, right? So it, it, I think it, it doesn't really matter what role you're in, whether you're in HR or anything else. It's really important the more you learn about technology, you know, the more you understand how machine learning works. Like a very simple example I always give, there's a difference between, uh, you know, good old fashioned AI, they call it, you know, like, like uh, GoFi, right? So, so um, there's a difference between that and machine learning. What is the difference? You know, there's the programming. And so because there are things that we can, uh, teach the machine. There's a there's a gentleman called Pedro Domingos. He wrote a book uh, called um, uh, Master Algorithm. I highly highly recommend it. Where he explains this, it's like you know there are things that machines uh, can do that we can't teach them to do, and then there are things that we um, uh, you know that that we can uh, program that machines can't do. You know, it's like the, uh, because right. because it's quite hard. Like. You know, because like, say, for example, it's really hard to ex to explain and teach human interaction. So you can't code it. But if you have machine learning that's sitting there, you know, I'm fascinated by the, the accuracy sometimes of um, the predictive text. When you look at predictive text, you know, like I was writing down some questions for my own uh, podcast 
for one of my interviews. And I was fascinated by the fact that as I went, because all the stuff I wrote was questions, I just put the word what, and it gave me, what do you think? And I was like, this is incredible. You know, that, that it's like, but sometimes it's ahead of me. And then there's times where that is very dangerous and diff- and, and actually because all of the biases that we have, for example, I, there was another one where I was writing uh, a sentence and I, I, uh, which was all about women. The, the whole text was about women. And then I wrote raising their, and it said children. But I meant to say raising their socioeconomic status. So, so, so predictive text, just because I'm talking about women, it, it associates raising their with children. Right. It's, um, it's that danger. We talk a lot about using technology to build a more inclusive culture, that it gives you tools to build in more transparency, to eliminate bias. But but that that point you just made, it's it's it actually can make it worse. It can make it worse. It can exacerbate the problem for certain. Yeah. So, uh, for example, for this uh, women in business and technology, uh, I was looking for a, a name for the platform that I'm building. And when I put the word uh, I, I went to these AI name generators to get ideas. So I put female and I put technology. But just because I had the word female, all of the things that it was giving me had to do with beauty and cosmetics. It's like, you know, it wasn't giving me anything that had that sense of what I was looking for. So there are many, many examples of this where, you know, AI has um, actually worsened the situation um, because, because our biases are going into, and I think we have a very small window of opportunity to correct this because of the, um, it's taking taking over, you know, the way that we use technology. It's just taking over these algorithms. Uh, it it will get to a point that it will be beyond correctable. That's a true. That's a true challenge. Tell me, as you were talking about naming your AI, it it, it made me wonder why is Alexa a female? Why is Siri a female? Well, my Siri is male, you know, and you can choose, right? So, and actually I've named all of my, so I've got a a, a Hoover, uh, a robot Hoover, that's oh. called Brian. <laughs> that's <laughs> called Brian, uh, Brian the bot. And I have a um, uh, another one uh, that's like Mops and that's Moby the Mop. <laughs> you know, so so, so I, I think we need to change that. It, it all comes down to our, I mean, look, there are speculations. People, I don't want to go down that route of people. Some people say, oh, it's Alexa is a female because females, uh, because women are seen as a serve, serving thing. I, I don't know. I don't know if I buy into that. I don't think that was the thinking necessarily behind, you know, it could just be that female voice seemed more friendly. I don't know. Uh, I, I wouldn't speculate on that. The bigger problem here, uh, Rob, is that, when you look at the voice technology, actually the, the voice technology is huge right now, right? But actually about 80%, it, uh, I may be not entirely correct with the percentage there, but I, from my memory, I think about 80% of, uh, 70 to 80% of voice technology um, is not recognizing women's voice correctly. So that's the bigger problem. Yeah. So the name of Alexa is that's of a that's less of a problem. The the bigger problem is that the data 
that has been used. This is what I mean when I talk about female perspective. You know, if if Amazon was uh, was founded by and um, and run by a woman, it could probably be very different. Or you know, if Google was founded by and uh, run by women, it would have been different. So. That's what I mean by lack of female perspective. It's like, you know, I think until we have females, women in the top tier, you know, like the, the absolute top tier, like I'm talking about female equivalents of Steve Jobs, of, you know, Jeff Bezos. Until we have that, we are not going to see a big enough shift. It's just not good enough. Anything, you know, there's so many examples. To, let me give you a very simple example. Nothing to do with, with algorithms. I, I go to my... A rubbish bin area to put my rubbish in and and i i'm opening these really huge bin um i don't know how to call it, containers right this is so heavy i i mean i really struggle as a as a person as a female i'll give you another example i can't even open the my cabinet door you know and reach the top layer because it's built for a male world right I can't reach. So on the New Year's Eve, I opened the cabinet door. I was trying to reach for sugar to make tea for my friend, and uh, one of the jars fell and it broke my uh, the top, uh, the glass top of my hop. So that is an example of technology that is, you know, an engineering that is done by men. Nobody has thought about it. Nobody has thought about like a, a, a five foot three. A woman, 53 kilos, you know, like it's very, very hard for me to open these heavy doors. It's very hard for me to reach those top layers. So that same bias is going into our algorithms on social media. That's how it works. What's scary is it's it's completely unconscious. People are not setting out yeah. to to conduct business that way. There's just there's there's blinders on. I I, I do want to exactly. go back to a little bit about what you were talking about technology, about outsourcing. Mm-hmm. I get the feeling there's also a lot of trepidation if you haven't been raised to be technical. If you've been told your whole life you can't be technical. There's got to be some fear around embracing that, uh, embracing a new career. I think you touch on it uh, on your new book. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on how to overcome some of the the concerns uh, people may have around that? Okay, well, you see, there there are two different ways of um, not different two two ways of tackling this, and they need to be worked on together. What I emphasize on in the book, in the last part of the book, is about gaining human. Um, skills. I call them human skills. Some people call it soft skills. You know, I, I call them human skills as opposed to, you know, technical skills that, to do with how we deal with uh, machines. So the human skills are um, uh, emotional intelligence, contextual creativity, critical thinking, and mindfulness. And these are words that we use so much that we're kind of losing our sensitivity to them. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a thing that we all talk about, you know, when it comes to uh, looking at, you know, the workplace scenarios and, and how we tackle um, uh, workplace issues. But what I'm talking about here is so much bigger than just like, let's, let's have some empathy and let's sit down and have, you know, uh, do meditation for 20 minutes. That's not what I'm talking about. For me, the human skills part, it's about full participation. You know, it's about not being a 
uh, a passive observer, but being an active participant, right? So, so to 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 fully um, immerse yourself in the space that you are in, in in the technology space, and to uh, really absorb and say, you know, uh, uh, to to increase your sensitivity to the things around you, you know, like what I just talked about. We go every day about our lives, you know, we open that door and it's heavy and we we just pass by it and we don't question it. But when I'm looking, it's, it's only over the past few years as I've started to look at technology and these biases that now I'm also noticing those biases in so many other areas, right? And I'm just realizing that, so that gives me an opportunity for contextual creativity. What, that, what, I'm, what I mean by that, Probably one of the best examples of contextual creativity that I always give is the invention of iPod, you know, by uh, with uh, by Steve Jobs, you know, because he, he it was his contextual creativity, the imagination, his it was his sensitivity to the world around him that made him observe the way that we think about music and we listen to music, and he suddenly thought, you know what. I could create this device that I, I could design it this way that would enable people to have 500 and then maybe 5,000 and then maybe hundreds of thousands. And now we have streaming, right? So it was the start of something, songs in their pocket. So that's an example of contextual creativity. There's so many opportunities for contextual creativity and we need the combination of these things together emotional intelligence, contextual creativity, critical thinking. You know, every day I give examples of critical thinking to my team. I'm like, for example, we have, um, we, for, for the, um, uh, the campaigns that we are running for the marketing of this women in business technology, we are reaching out to women that we think could be interested, and not just women, also men, uh, who could be interested in supporting the movement. Now, one of our team members is uh, currently in Middle East, and he is capturing that data and then entering it into our system. But because he was doing that from the Middle East, so the system is automatically picking up his location and, and thinking that we have women coming from that part of the world. Now, one of the people in my team created a um, presentation for a potential sponsor. And she literally just copied and pasted that location. And I was like, did you not question the fact that why is this Middle East, uh, you know, location? Like, this is an example of critical thinking, right? Because because we are so, everything is it has become so autopilot, you know, the way that we are using these technologies. So there's more, going to be more and more examples of this type of thing where, you know, we've had examples that I give to my book. We've had NASA um, rockets, you know, explode completely because of a mistake in a hyphen, right? Or, or because of a mistake in inches versus centimeters, you know. And so this type of thing, it, it's like the, um, the as our technology becomes more complex, the consequences of these type of mistakes is going to be bigger and bigger. And, and at one point, we could be blowing up the entire humanity for you know for for a mistake like that, right? You could you could be uh, you know uh, allowing your company to be the um, victim of a cyber attack for, for something like that. So, so that's the, the critical thinking part of it. The contextual creativity, I gave you an example. The mindfulness bit is all about full participation and uh, emotional intelligence is about being able to put yourself in other people's 
um, uh, obviously this is the one probably that's most uh, familiar to people, but also least uh, probably experienced or, 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 or practiced, especially in this world of social media where we can just type things. And, and now, if, even you look at this type of conver uh, conversation we are having now, you know, I'm looking at your image, but actually my camera is a little bit further here. So we are not having, right, we are not having exact eye contact. So we are all becoming autistic in a way, you know, because because we are because we are not we are losing that ability for eye contact. Now think about the generation Z and you know the future generations where they're going to grow up in a completely um, uh, in, uh, you know virtual environment uh, and, and augmented reality. So they're going to have now there are ex there are possibilities for some people to come and say, you know what, I'm going to design a new phone where the camera is right in the middle and it, it sits where in the screen yeah and, and it's where you your usually your eyes will be so here's an example of you know it, it's a combination of thinking you know uh, uh, the contextual creativity is a combina combination of all of those four skills you know and, and thinking about the emotional intelligence part yeah so and thinking critically about the uh, long-term impact of losing this eye contact and also being mindful and, and completely um, involved uh, and present uh, in observing that and then going off. And then there's the second part, which is the technical part, right? So you need to have both because you could be the best philosophical, you know, person sit here, observe all of these things. But if you don't have the technical knowledge of how do I then turn that into a business? How do I then turn that into you know, something that's going to change the quality of people's life. Yes, so, so that's what we need. We need now uh, to, uh, more than ever, we need people to develop, and, and younger generations especially, to develop both the human skills and the, and the uh, technical skills. Because in the past, we could get away with saying, okay, you know what, I'm a nurse. I don't need to have technical skills. And then um, you could say, somebody could say, I'm an engineer. I'm a software engineer, you know, or some or an electrical engineer. I don't need to have uh, human skills. But now, our uh, these two things are so interconnected. You must have both of them. So we need to, if we, in our workplaces, we need to be able to uh, encourage our staff, our you know, team members to develop those, uh, and we need to do it very fast. And the and the difficulty is that these are not things that we've been grown up with. You know, we haven't learned those things. We haven't been taught those things in the uh, in our educational system. No, absolutely not. I, I know at Paychex, we actually we have a lot of uh, development and and learning, and there's a big focus on EQ, emotional intelligence, just trying to get people to to really cultivate that other side because it's very easy to get caught up into the technical aspects of your job. I really liked that you touched on the newer generations, that the, the the generational differences as as HR leaders see this this you know millennials of course, but now Gen Z coming into the workplace. What are the implications for the future of work there? What are you what are you seeing for for challenges and for opportunities? Challenges are many. Uh, when you look at even your, um, I mean, you're in America. I'm in uh, London right now, but you look at your last few um, 
uh, you know, the, the uh, U.S. presidents, right? So, like the the one now, you know, and Donald Trump before that, you're talking about the silent generation, not even baby boomers, right? You're talking about a generation before that. So we are, and we are having a similar kind of issue here in the UK when you look at the people who voted for Brexit, right? So we are having a system that is, you know, still very much in tune with the baby boomer mentality um, and the organizational uh, pyramid, if you will, if you will, you know, it's still very much, you know, that that's a very. Uh, it's a very old school model. And then we have the younger uh, kind of digital uh, uh, companies. Like look at my own company, for example. I have a team of uh, six, seven people, you know, and we are growing really fast. And the way that I look, I refer to my team members as colleagues, you know, when I'm introducing them in an email, when I'm talking, you know, my colleague, Elizabeth, my colleague, Bruna, you know, um, and it's a very flat culture. And like the other day we were, uh, I, I said to the girls in a, in a, um, a chat, because um, we are working remotely right now, I said that, I, they said like, how, did, how was your um, holiday? I said, I worked most of it. it, was, you know, like in the middle of lockdown, I can't see my friends, family and all that. So, so I might as well. <laughs> and one of them said, crazy woman, I said, I'm your boss, you know, you know, and, and but you know, like in with all with our smileys, right? But like, I, I could have never said that to my boss when I was working in a big co- uh, corporate corporation, right? And, and uh, I, I feel like it's I look at it in an endearing way, and you know, we there are points like when I'm telling them off, I'm telling them off, and you know, it, when things are wrong, and you know, just being able to keep that distance and and uh, and uh, to be able to have that kind of like like you're out like you know that we have these three uh we have you know our values you know transparency speed and curiosity is our, our values and the the slightest you know I'm very unforgiving uh, you know there there's um there are but then also I can be very uh, you know, understanding of where they're coming from. And, you know, so generationally, we're quite close. We are not like we're, I'm an older millennial, they're a younger millennial, you know. But now when you think about a baby boomer and a Gen Z, I mean, the difference is huge because I always talk about the fact that millennials are uh, uh, the link between the pre-digital and the post-digital. Because, you know, as an older millennial, I roughly remember when I was younger, uh, when I was a teenager, you know, uh, like I was one of the first people that got a computer, uh, you know, in the people around me. And uh, then the cell phone and all that stuff. But majority of my adult life, I've had these technologies and I feel very comfortable with them, right? But but then there is the younger millennials that don't even remember that. They don't remember the sound of the dial-up internet. And then you look at the Gen Z, right? That uh, you do, uh, you look at the Gen Z and all they've ever seen is access to technology. So what I think what we are missing, the difference, like I always explain that digital is a language, you know, like, okay, listen, let me explain what I mean by that. So if you think about 
as somebody who is like I'm a, I'm a foreigner coming to the UK or you know I, I came here I, I learned English as a foreign language not as a second language as a foreign language I came to the UK when I was 23 so I was already an adult and I learned uh, I started learning English around when I was 10 by the time I was 14 I was able to read books but I learned most of my English through reading because I lived um, back in Iran at that time so I didn't grow up in a English speaking environment so what that means is that it doesn't matter how good my English gets I'm always going to have an accent and there's always going to be a point where it will give away that English is not my first language I'm never going to be uh, like a, a you know you look at Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? So, so like you, he, he's always going to have that accent. Now, when I say in, uh, when I say digital is a language, that's what I mean. You need to think about it like that. It's digital is a way of communication, like language. So, when you look at Gen Z, you know they're going to be um, completely native, you know, completely natural. So, as somebody as as like millennial, as an older millennial, it's kind of like similar. It, it, it's to a point that, yes, it is native to me, but not to the same degree. You know, it's, there's there's still a slight bit of difference. Uh, it's kind of like somebody who has gone into another country uh, when they were 14, you know, like so. So, so that's it, it's around that age where you may be able to lose your accent almost. You know, if you work a bit, work at it a bit, right? You work harder at it, um, and that's that's the way to look at. Uh, so, why does that matter? Is the way that I again give that example is that you go to a comedy show and you get eighty percent of the jokes. Maybe you get seventy percent of the show, joke, but there's always going to be twenty, thirty percent that you you're not going to get. There are references that you're not going to get, and and. As a baby boomer, this uh, you know dealing with uh, uh, Gen Z and younger millennials, that's how to think about it. There's always going to be a bit of a miscommunication. So when things like that happen, it, both parties need to work at it. You know, like like I need to be uh, patient of the fact that I'm not going to get thirty percent of the jokes, and um, the the person who's telling the jokes or or the partner who's with me who is an English speaker has to help me. I remember I used to uh, go out with somebody who was uh, very much in the comedy uh, scene, and and I used to keep asking what 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 did that mean? What does that mean? You know, and it, it, the problem is that in the intergenerational workspace sometimes that doesn't well oftentimes that doesn't happen and, and and there is the miscommunication mismatch from both sides so the role of people like me is to try and explain that to both sides to say look guys you know I, I, to the to the baby boomers and and maybe older gen xers i would say look you need to remember that these guys haven't seen anything other that's that's the world that they know and to the other ones I need to try and explain to them that you have to be patient. You need to develop the the patience and the um, you know the uh, emotional intelligence to put yourself in the shoes of somebody that has never been in in your you know, they're not used to the speed with which you absorb these technologies and and you know you need to be able to help them. But what that creates in the workplace 
one of the problems I create is problem opportunity. You know, there, I always think like problems and opportunities are two sides of the same coin. But one of the issues that it creates is that it uh, in the past we you know and and evolutionary we are used to the idea that you look up to your elders, right? You look up and you are asking for uh, questions on how to you know, um, overcome certain challenges or, you know, or how to do this, you know, like a, a simple thing, like how do I solve this puzzle? How do I open, you know, with this package, whatever, everything. But now you have Google and you have, you know, all these technologies that actually what happens is that the older people are coming to the younger people and say, can you help me with this? You bring, you know, like I have all these, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm like the IT person for all of my clients, you know, who are in their 50s and 60s. They literally call me and say, like, tell me, how do I do this? And I'm like, OK, let's get on a, a Zoom call. So let, let me share your screen with me. Let me show this, show you how to do this. I just created a, uh, a tutorial for my podcast guests on how to use a, a microphone. Yeah. So what that does is that then it takes away that balance of looking up to your elders. And and all of a sudden, you're like, I know things more than my boss, right? At least technically, I know things more than my boss. And even though knowledge is not the same as wisdom, yes. right? We know that, right? you were going to say wisdom, yes. yes. Yeah, so knowledge is not the same as wisdom. So you could know things. You could have. You could know the entire Wikipedia. It doesn't mean that, you know, it doesn't mean that you have the wisdom to know how to use that. So, but we have not been able, the younger generation haven't had an opportunity. See, this is where the emotional intelligence comes. We need to empathize with the fact that we haven't taught them this, you know, we haven't taught them that, you know, you look at uh, the, the school systems, right? You know, they're quite happy and uh, a lot of parents quite happy to just give you an iPad, you know, to, uh, to sit there and be quiet. Right. So we haven't taught them this concept of wisdom and knowledge to different things. We haven't communicated the value of wisdom. So we shouldn't be surprised that it's being lost. Right. So we have a problem on our hand with the, with the future generations. And that is only going to increase with, uh, uh, with AI because, you know, uh, there is a chance that majority of communications are going to be via you know, it's already happening via an interface. So I always say in my book, I say that communication is no longer between two humans. It's between two humans and a machine, right? It's always like Siri is always there. Alexa is always there. They're always listening. They're always going to be impacting the way that we um, communicate. So we are no longer in a face-to-face. -face. It's, it's no longer a two-way communication. It's a three-way communication. Dialogue is now a three-way communication. So, um, so that's going to be another layer of interpretation and, and, and chances for um, uh, miscommunication and, and things getting lost in, in translation. That's why I say digital is a language. Yeah, that's, and that's a, that's a great finale, Somi, because it gives you so much to think about when we're in the business of people and how it's, it's changing. And you've even taken us full circle, how how these technologies now, they're part of the conversation. They're, they're, they're intermediaries. They're there. 
it certainly gives HR leaders a lot to think about uh, as they try to be clear and understood and help people in the companies be clear and understood and work together. Because at the end of the day, that's going to be the the most important thing. I I, I love that. Uh, I love the conversation today. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It was it was it was great. Uh, I encourage everyone to visit somiarian.com to learn more about all the great work Somi is doing and how you can bring those insights to your own organizations. That's S-O-M-I-A-R-I-A-N.com. Thanks again, Somi. This was great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This podcast is Property of Paychecks, Inc. 2021. All rights reserved.